Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. Lord, we come before you as people who need you for so many reasons. Um, we feel needs that are not met. We have needs which we need to be met. And we're so in need of grace and so in need of love. And so I pray that you would bring your love and your grace to us today through your word. Keep me faithful to your word and let me preach your good news in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay. So today we're in Ephesians chapter 1. We're just doing three verses. So should be good. Um, let me mention something to start us off. If, if you're like me and you have spent a fair amount of time in the church, you may have been taught to understand the relationship between God's choice to save you and your choice to trust in him by way of a simple and powerful analogy. And that analogy is this. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. Anybody ever heard that before? Anybody ever heard that in relationship to God and who he is before? Okay, I, I don't want to say there's nothing to that, but I'm going to give you a little bit of a spoiler alert. Um, as we may have already noticed from our passage today, I'm not so sure that's what Scripture teaches. Um, and, and this is important, okay? Let, here's something else I want to tell you guys about. There's a group called Barna that conducted a study in March of 2017, and it found that 52% of practicing Christians strongly agreed. So, there's like this Likert scale, scale, right? And strongly disagree, strongly agree, and there are all the points in between. 52% of people went all the way to the agree side of that scale with, that the Bible teaches this statement. God helps those that help themselves. God helps those who help themselves. 52% of practicing Christians strongly agreed with that. And some of you may have the impression that that phrase is in the Bible, I don't want to put anybody down. I do want to let you guys know that, that phrase is not in the Bible. This, this study also found that 32% of practicing Christians strongly agreed, if you do good, you will receive good. If you do bad, you will receive bad. Among practicing Christians under 45 years old, 50% of people strongly agreed with the statement that if you do good, you'll get good, and if you do bad, you'll get bad. Practicing Christians believed this. And so if this is something that you believe or have believed, you should know that you're not crazy, and you're not alone, but you should also know that this is the opposite of the story that God tells in his word. The Bible teaches that even though people run from God, even though people hurt the world, and even though people hurt themselves, God still moves toward us to love us and to bless us. It's not that God loves those who help themselves. 
It's that God loves those who cannot help themselves. It's really different. And so it shouldn't surprise us then that another study, not having to do with Christians at all, published by the National Institutes of Health in 2020, found that rates of anxiety among Americans at large increased from 5.12% to 6.68% in the 10-year span between 2008 and 2018. So that's pretty significant. But remember I said that under 45, 50% of all professing Christians said they agreed with the fact that God gives good to those who do good and, and people who do bad get bad. Well, what, what happened when they zoomed in on a younger age demographic in this other study about anxiety? Well, in the ages 18 to 25 years, the rate increased from 2008 to 2018 from 7.97% to 14.66%. 14.66% of all people between 18 and 25 in the United States of America in the year 2018 had anxiety. These studies didn't talk to each other, and so we can't find like some sort of clinical significance or correlation there, but they feel related to me. That people who tend to believe, if I do good, I get good, if I do good, bad, I get bad, are also more likely to be anxious, and the rate of anxiety is increasing. So here's the good news for today. You can't make a horse drink. I can't make a horse drink, but God can. God can. So if you find yourself as lacking as I do in the holiness department, you may find it comforting to hear that you can find love and safety in God's kingdom, not because of the choices that you've made or will make, but because of the choice that God made to love you and to save you. He did it not based on what you did, but based on his will. And so that's what this passage is about. Here's going to be our outline for today. Point one will be God is worthy of our worship. That's going to be our first point. Point two is going to be God freely chose us before we freely chose him. You won't hear me say we didn't freely choose him, okay? God freely chose us before we freely chose him. The third point is going to be this. God's grace makes us worship him. It's God's grace that makes us worship him. So let's start off with this. God is worthy of our worship. You see this in verse 3. It says this. Blessed is God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. Um, I want to tell you guys a story. I'll try to make it brief. Some of you may know that I love a musician by the name of Tom Waits. I didn't always love this musician. When I was a younger man, I heard him sing. And has anybody ever heard Tom Waits before? Anybody listen to him? When I would hear him sing as a young man, I would think with a voice like that, he should be in silent films. That's what I thought. But somehow it grew on me, and I've developed this strong, strong affinity for the range of his voice, the way it matches these weird stories he likes to tell. Everything comes together in a way that just kind of like makes me feel a lot. I, I love it so much. Most people that I come across feel more like I used to feel. And so I had an experience recently where um, Oscar Navarro, me, 
Brian Seitz, Linda Seitz, and Kristen Alyssa Pabletti were in the Pabletti garage. And as, as you may know, Alyssa Pabletti does not like Tom Waits. Um, but she's also like really kind and sweet. So she's like, help me understand. That's kind of her approach to that. Well, that was a bad idea because I love Tom Waits. And so for about 45 minutes, Oscar and I, who both love Tom Waits, just start going back and forth. Well, we like him because this, and we like him because this. And have you heard this song? And oh my gosh, this is the best album. This period was the most wonderful period. Like 15 minutes into that conversation, I'm thinking to myself, Mark, you got to make an exit. You got to make an exit. This conversation is just happening between two people who love Tom Waits and no one else is benefiting from it. But there were like 30 more minutes of this conversation that happened. Why? Because I love his music and his music moves me to talk about how much I love it too. It gives me joy to take joy and to praise the work that he makes. And, and so that's kind of what Paul is doing here with God, but to a much greater degree and with much more worth. When he said, blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He starts out our passage for today by praising God for his blessedness. And you should notice that it's not a cold description of facts. It's not a cold description of facts. It's not just like list, list, list kind of deal. This is a heartfelt expression about God's glorious reality because God is blessed. That's who God is. He doesn't receive blessing. He is blessed. It's intrinsic to who he is, and that's what makes him worthy of praise. You and I, we receive blessing, but we do nothing to enrich God. So Paul is pouring out his heart to the God who's worthy of praise. And in fact, this is the meaning of the word translated as blessed here in our passage for today. It can have two meanings. One meaning, just like our word for blessed. So it's a great choice. Um, it can mean blessed or it can mean praised. And, and so it comes together to mean both when we're talking about God. God is blessed. God is praised. He's worthy of our praise. He's blessed within himself, and therefore God is praised for who he is. He doesn't stand to gain from us. We stand to gain from him. That's why we praise him. Consider what Paul says in Romans 11, verses 34 and 36. So it's, it's always nice to hear someone say the same thing kind of multiple times in multiple ways. It helps you confirm that you're hearing them correctly. Okay, so here's what Paul says in Romans chapter 11. He says this, Who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that he should be repaid? Now, these are all rhetorical questions, and the answer to each of them is nobody has ever done these things. For from him, through him, and to him be glory forever. Amen. So we don't give anything good to God. He doesn't gain from us. What happens is he gives us everything, and then everything comes through him, and then everything goes to him in praise. Paul's not asking us to believe that we offer gifts to God. Instead, he wants us to know that God is blessed, and therefore he's worthy of our praise. God's already blessed just because of who he is. So if we know this, 
We know that when God asks something of us, it's not for his gain, but for ours. It's not for his gain, but for ours when he asks something of us. He is totally satisfied in himself. So he's not asking us to make sacrifices for his benefit. When we know that God is blessed, we will simply praise him for who he is. End of story. So what does the worthy God do with his blessedness? Does he hoard it? Does he guard it? Does he flaunt it to make others feel bad that they're not as blessed as him? That's not what our God does. The blessed God blesses us. Look at verse 3 again. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. It's forms of the same word that get translated as blessed both times here. So you should notice the parallel between who God is and who he makes us. God is blessed, and he makes us blessed too. God's not stingy with his blessing. He doesn't lord his blessedness over us. We need to know that God is generous and that the blessed God bends to make us blessed too. He comes down to our level to make us blessed rather than despise us for not being blessed like him. God uses his blessedness to make us like him. We're not giving to him. He's giving to us. And he gives us an adjective like blessed that belongs to him and it becomes ours. What has he blessed us with? That's kind of important to know, isn't it? What has God blessed us with? So blessed is the Lord, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. So what has he blessed us with? He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Again, this is not a stingy God. This is not a withholding God who gives a little bit if you've been good. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. But notice this. Every spiritual blessing is found where? In Christ. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And so once again, this flips our default script on its head. It flips it on its head because we're prone to treating Christ as a stop on our way to blessing. Christ is, Christ is our means of blessing, is how a lot of us treat Jesus. But Paul wants us to know that every spiritual blessing is, just not, is not just found through Christ, but in Christ himself. It's not just found through Christ, but in Christ himself. So what does it look like to be blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavens? It looks like having Christ. And that's so important to know. This is not a room full of tons of people, and yet it's full of enough people that even if I didn't know you, I would know that some of you are experiencing seasons of your life that don't feel like a blessed season. If that's where you're at, you need to know that you have blessing in Christ that is not threatened by the negative experiences that you're having right now. Some of you are having just amazing seasons of your life, and you need to know that is not the nature of your blessing from God. I mean, it comes from God. He's in control of everything. But if we want to think of blessing the way he thinks of blessing, 
It's got to be in Christ. That's how we have to understand it. What does it look like to be blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavens? It looks like having Christ. And so we need to let this recalibrate how we think about blessing. Um, so, so by way of an example, let me clarify what this means. If we say something like, man, like uh, this last week, my emotions have been out of control. And, and so that tells me something is wrong and I need to go to Jesus. Well, that's a really good thing. Wouldn't you agree? That's like kind of what we should be doing. But, but here, if I say something that sounds very similar to myself, I want to go to Jesus if he can make me emotionally healthy. Well, there's a word for that, and it's idolatry. Very similar. And actually, from the outside, it looks like the same exact thing. One is going to Jesus to get Jesus. The other is going to Jesus so you can leave him with a gift. In one scenario, we rightly recognize that everything in the universe orbits around God in Christ. And when we see our need, we see our need for him. But in the other, we use Christ for some other end. And when we see him, we see a ticket to get what we really want. When God blesses us with every spiritual blessing, every blessing is found in Christ, if it is to be considered a blessing. Rather than believing that Jesus is the path we take to get good gifts, we need to know that Jesus is the prize at the end of every blessed road. He's the prize. But here's the thing. How can we be sure that God has truly blessed us with every spiritual blessing? I mean, are these just like nice words to put on a coffee cup? He has blessed you with every spiritual blessing. Are these like our morning affirmations? We look in the, wind, in the mirror and we're like, I am blessed. And you just say it till you actually believe it. It only matters if it's actually true. It only matters if it's actually true. Saying it doesn't make it true. How can we be sure that God has truly blessed us with every spiritual blessing? That brings us to our second point, which is this. God freely chose us before we freely chose him. God freely chose us before we freely chose him. So most of us walk through our lives continually trying to earn the love and the acceptance of others, don't we? we we're continually trying to prove our worth in one way or another. And that's because God actually made us to need love and acceptance. He didn't, in, in Genesis, you see that God made man and he was the only person. And then immediately God said, it's not good for man to be alone. We see that it's part of the design, actually, that we need love and acceptance, but we walk through our lives continually trying to earn the love and acceptance of others because we all know ourselves a little too well to rest in the confidence that we are loved and accepted all of the time. We're, we're not as good at deluding ourselves as we would like to be sometimes. And so to some degree or another, we all fight this tug of war between our need for acceptance, which affirms God's good design for us to be together, for us to be loved, for us to be accepted, um, and our fallenness on the other hand, which makes us question whether we really ever can be accepted. There's a tug of war. Maybe you, maybe you know this. What would God say to us who are in this situation? Why should I have any confidence that God who's perfect, wants to bless me with every spiritual blessing. 
if you, like any of us who are paying attention, feel skeptical about God's capacity to love and accept the real you, we got to read on to verses 4 and 5. we got to find the answer. He says this, For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself according to the good pleasure of his will. And so the first thing that I want you to notice here is that the first word in verse 4 Okay, this is confusing. It's four. Okay, different spellings. If you, you would notice, it's F-O-U-R and F-O-R. They're different. The first word is four, F-O-R. And so this means that whatever follows next is meant to prove what was said previously. So whatever comes after in verses four and five is meant to say, here's how you know what happened in verse three is true. That's what the four is there for. Um, so those who are trusting in Christ can know that God has blessed us and God will bless us because God freely chose us before we freely chose him. And so he's not looking over your shoulder to see if you perform to his standards. Spoiler alert, guys, you don't. And he's not analyzing your heart to see if you're worthy of his love. There's another spoiler. You're not. None of us are. One thing is going to be true about every person in heaven. Before you did anything... Before you did good, before you did bad, God chose you. God chose you. That's it. Not only that, he didn't choose us to be his natural-born children. Anybody notice the word adopted in there? He didn't choose us to be his natural-born children. He chose us to be adopted. And so when we think about that in terms of who are God's natural-born children, and what does it mean to have to be adopted into that? That means that God did not choose you in ignorance, when before the foundations of the earth, his plan was for adoption to happen. He didn't choose you in ignorance. He chose you in full knowledge of who you would be and what you would do in your life. That means that before God even chose to make the world, he knew that you would rebel and sin. He knew that we would all become children of hell by nature. And he knew that we would be worse than we even ever believe ourselves to be. And with that knowledge, what did he do? Did he run away? Did he decide not to create the world? No, with that knowledge, not only did God choose to create the universe, not only did God choose to create you and me before he did any of that, he chose to make us his own through adoption. How much more secure could you ever be? No surprises before God. He chose to adopt us before he made the world. If you draw a timeline of the Bible, the first point a lot of us would put on it is creation. But actually, that's not the first point on the biblical timeline. What we're looking at here is the earliest thing that's recorded in all of scripture. It's not creation, it's election. God chose us before he did anything else. God does not bless you with every spiritual blessing in Christ because he sees that you're worthy of it. And that's good news when you feel unworthy, isn't it? That's not why he chose you. Why then? God blesses you and me with every spiritual blessing in Christ 
according to the purpose of his will. It, it, it says that right here in verse 5. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself because he knew how awesome we would be. Oh, wait, no, that's not what it says. Okay, he predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself according to the good pleasure of his will. That's, that was his criteria. You can't lose that. God's will is unchanging and unchangeable. Unlosable. God blesses you and me with every spiritual blessing in Christ according to the purpose of his will. And that's all. It was his choice and he is unchanging. And if we know this, we can stop living with the anxiety of trying to prove our worth, trying to defend our sin, or wondering if and when we will finally be found out for who we are. I mean, imposter syndrome. In the past 10 years, it's amazing how many times I've heard that word. We all relate to it. That's why we use it so much. When we know that God chose us according to the purpose of his will, we never have to have that fear of being found out by him. In eternity past, God did not search the future to find the right kind of people. Instead, he made a free choice to adopt sinners and make them his own. And if you're a sinner, that is good news. If God chose us for adoption before he created the universe, we should, we should know what purpose he has for us, shouldn't we? And if that was the first choice he ever decided to make, we should know why did he want to choose us? Why did he want to adopt us? God chose us, we're told, to be holy and blameless in Christ. And so this is the goal we move toward. That's, that's true. But we should know, because a lot of us are calibrated to look at the Bible and say, okay, here's what I do and here's what I don't do. That's in the Bible. That's not primarily what the Bible is. We should know that this is mostly a promise, that he chose us to be holy and blameless. It's mostly a promise. God chose us according to the purpose of his will, not according to our worthiness. So it's mostly a promise. God will make us holy and blameless in Christ according to the purpose of his will, not according to our effort. Look at how Paul expresses this same exact thought in Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 29. Verse 28 is probably going to be really familiar for almost everybody here. It says this, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Now we see in verse 29, okay, why do they work together? For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. In Ephesians, Paul tells us. In Romans, Paul tells us. God chose us before the foundations of the earth in Romans, he says, to be conformed to the image of his son, who is holy and blameless, by the way. In Ephesians, he says, he chose us before the foundations of the earth to adopt us and make us holy and blameless. So we should not be comfortable if this is God's purpose for us with the sin in our lives. We shouldn't make peace with it. We should hate it, and we should run away from it, and we should do everything we can to kill it. Because sin is not what God chose us for in eternity past. He chose us to be holy and blameless before him. 
We should also not be taking this, he chose us to be holy and blameless, as a command when it is primarily a promise. If the main thing you hear in this passage is, be holier, be blameless, sir, <laughs> then, then we're hearing it wrong. This is a promise. If this is what God chose you for, this is what you will be. So on the one hand, yes, if you're living your life with no mind toward holiness and no mind toward blamelessness, if you're making peace with your sin and not running away from it, that's not a good sign. But this is not a command to work harder to be holy and blameless. It's a promise that that's where God's taken us. We were not chosen because we are holy and blameless, or even because we tried so hard and so earnestly to become holy and blameless. We were chosen to be made holy and blameless. And the first way this happens was in the past through the cross. When, when you hear holy and blameless, we should be thinking atonement. We should be thinking death of Christ. That's the first way that God made us holy and blameless. If we have been born again by grace and through faith, God already considers us holy and blameless today on the merit of Christ's finished work. Too often we talk about God's grace as if it's the same thing as like lenience. And I think that's what creates a lot of insecurity in us because we think like, well, God loves you despite your sin. And here's the rug. Let me just, let me put it under there for a while. And we all know what's under that rug, don't we? Don't look at your sin under a rug. Look at it on the cross. God is not lenient towards your sin. He has dealt with it. And he has made you holy and blameless if you trust in him by the merit of Christ's work on the cross. When we think of God's grace as if it's just lenience, it really has no credibility in light of genuine self-knowledge, does it? There's no credibility there. Our confidence, our hope, our joy, they crumble under the weight of the worst parts of ourselves. Instead of believing that God is just nice, we need to look at the cross to know that God is good to forgive us. God is good to accept us. And God knows who we are. And he has made a way to love people like you and me in full knowledge of who we are. God really, really loves us. The second way this happens is in our daily life through something that we call sanctification. As we live in hope, if we li as we live in the hope that God has given us, his holiness washes away our sin and it changes us. At this point in our life, we're, we're told that it's from glory to glory. It's small steps and we all still struggle with sin. We all still gravitate towards sin. And yet, having faith in God having hope in God, living in hope. His holiness washes away our sin, and we walk in hope rather than sin as a result. And so it's important to note here that faith in God is what creates good works and not the other way around. Good works do not create faith in God. Good works do not create good standing before God, but faith in God does create good works. The third way this happens is something we all look forward to. It's going to happen in the future through Christ's return. Jesus is coming again 
to make the earth a perfect place and to establish heaven's kingdom perfectly here on earth. And in that kingdom, we will not only be considered holy and blameless because of what Christ has done, in that kingdom, we will be totally free from sin. We will be holy. We will be blameless. And so we move to our third point. God's grace makes us worship him. God's grace makes us worship him. So if God is not looking to benefit from your obedience or to get rich through your offerings, what's the purpose of God's sovereign choice to save? Why does he do it? All of it, we're told here, is to the praise of God's glorious grace. That's why he saves you and me. He saves us to the praise of his glorious grace. And man, if just notice, notice what God wants to be praised for here. Notice what he wants to be praised for. I mean, we all want praise sometimes, don't we? But, but what is it that you usually want praise for? A lot of the time when I want praise, it's all about me. It's all about somebody else giving me something that makes me feel good. What does God want to be praised for? His glorious grace. God wants to be praised for grace. I don't know why God chose me, but I do not know why he chose to save sinners. He's told me over and over and over again in his word. God loves and saves sinners because only God could love and save sinners. And God choosing sinners, God loving sinners, God saving sinners, God making sinners no longer to be sinners. This entire path is paved with stones of grace. And it ends in only one thing, and that thing is praise. That's the purpose of his grace. God's grace exists to cause you and me to joyfully praise him from the bottom of our hearts. So is, is this selfish of God that he does this? Is he a megalomaniac? I mean, you tell me. Look at this. I mean, look at the whole passage. Is, 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 that, is that a selfish God? There's no greater joy than to know God, to be known by God, and to sing his praises. And so the grace of God brings us even more grace because of that. For those of us who love God, praising him is our greatest joy. He's not doing a quid pro quo kind of thing. He changes our hearts so that we love nothing more than to praise him. This is a good situation, guys. So remember this. God is not wondering if you're going to disappoint him. God is not searching through your life to see if you're an imposter. Before God even made the dirt, he knew everything you would do. He chose you because he wanted to. That's why. And he knows you better than you know yourself. In eternity past, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they agreed that adopting sinners would be central to the purpose of all of creation. 
He's not swept your sin under the rug. He's poured out his wrath in full on Jesus on the cross. And Jesus rose again by the power of the Spirit, defeating the power of sin and death, both in our lives and when we come to die. Death has lost its sting and death has lost its power. So if you trust in him, you come before God today, holy and blameless by the merit of what Christ has done. You are free. You are free from having to prove that you're perfect when you're not. You're free from having to make your good outweigh your bad. You never will. You are free from having to worry that you will be found out. God knows you better than you know yourself, and he chose you. You are free from having to choose between excusing your sin or wallowing in your guilt. The price of your sin has been paid in full on the cross. What would change in your life if you knew this every moment of every day? What would change? How much freer would you be in your relationships? How much more quickly would you repent? How much more balanced would you be with your work? What would it look like to stop running on the treadmill to earn love and to earn acceptance, to earn worthiness, and instead to rest in the finished work of Christ? Rather than live in blissful ignorance or arrogant blindness, we can respond to the gospel today by receiving the body and the blood of Jesus in faith, by praising the one who makes sinners holy and blameless before him with hope and joy. Remember this. God didn't just make you holy and blameless and alone. He made his adopted children holy and blameless before him. That is radical. Before the foundation of the earth, he chose to suffer and die so he could bring us to himself. He loves you, church. Rather than asking us to meet him halfway, he came to us so we could be with him forever. Let's come to him then with glad singing, heartfelt praise. His grace is glorious and he's worthy of our worship. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church Podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. If you're ever in the Orange County, California area, we'd love it if you'd come by and visit on a Sunday morning. For meeting times and locations or any other information about us, please visit kx.church. There's no .com in that, just kx.church. Thanks again for listening.